You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Cheers! 
Joy to the world, we are still celebrating Merry Christmas to you as we welcome you into our fire, not actually in the fire, but it is toasty out here. My name is Andy Lynch, I'm the Connections Pastor here at Kingsway. And I'm Holly, I'm one of the Kids Ministry Associates. And you know you have your birthday and then maybe your birthday week and this is Christmas week, right? We are still celebrating here with you and this is a great chance for you to gather your family, whoever you're with, maybe you're on the road, uh, maybe you're at the in-laws, have them all gathered together. Pastor Matt has a special word coming up for you and we have a special word for our kids too. We totally do. We actually have a separate video on our YouTube channel. It's for mostly like kindergarten through fourth grade. It's a ton of fun. We've got songs for you. We've even got some games and Joe's got a special message. I think the kids will really like it. Can I play the games, Ollie? Yes, of course you can play the game. All right, that's on the YouTube channel. Pastor Matt has more as we finish up our Advent Conspiracy series. What a year 2020 has been, hands down the craziest year that I have ever experienced. In fact, I read a lot. This is hands down the craziest year I've ever even heard of. A worldwide pandemic that has completely shut down communities, cultures, even churches, perhaps your company. We've had to figure out how to e-learn and, and work from home and be all up in each other's business. It's been a weird year. In fact, I was just talking the other day to our first senior pastor, Dr. John Caldwell, and we were both lamenting that we've done more funerals in this year than in any other point in our lives and in our ministries. Many of you are gathered right now in a room with Christmas trees, perhaps open to presents now, maybe stockings still up and lights, and there wasn't somebody with you this year. Perhaps they passed away over the last year, or this virus that we've been dealing with was just raging. And so everybody you would normally gather with, you weren't able to gather. And there's a sense of loss or loneliness in your heart from that. Well, there's this passage that we love to do at funerals. It's Psalm chapter 23. And there David writes this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. As we sit along the stream, I envision when I read this that David at some point sat along a stream. And whatever it exactly is that David's going through in that moment, he's remembering the way that God sends rain that brings water that refreshes the ground around him. And that water serves as a reminder for David that God is still good. Is he? David would go on in verse 4, and we start to get some insight into exactly what he's dealing with. He says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I wonder what fear, anxiety, or stress David was feeling exactly in that moment. I don't know. But there's something about a rod and a staff that comforted him. And what is that? Well, we know this. When David was a young boy, perhaps a teenager, he was a shepherd. In fact, this is where we find David the first time in his story. He's out working in the field, caring for his sheep. That's what shepherds do. And they would carry staffs with them. And they would use it to defend their sheep, to watch over and protect their sheep. This analogy of a shepherd is an important one in the Bible. It's an agricultural society. And what's fascinating is the way that the shepherd analogy is used throughout the Bible. It actually comes to us far before David's story, it comes earlier in the Bible. 
we actually find out that uh, some of the first families, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these guys, they're actually shepherds. In fact, when Joseph at the end of Genesis uh, finds himself in Egypt and God is using him to save the story and save his family, he ends up taking his family and placing them in a land uh, called Goshen. And he says to them, I have to put you over here because the Egyptians despise you shepherds. What's powerful about that is that we see in the earliest of times, shepherds were dirty. They were cast aside. They were considered unimportant. And yet God takes a shepherd and he makes him a king. Why? There's certain lessons you can't learn in an office. There's certain lessons you can't learn on a sports field. Certain lessons you can't learn in e-learning or in school. You just have to learn them by working with sheep. See, when David worked with the sheep, he learned that sheep need constant care. And they need constant watch over them. They need somebody to love them, care for them, meet their needs. The sheep, if they're not careful, will actually graze themselves far away from the rest of the herd. It's not uncommon for a sheep to just start eating and following wherever the green grass is. And next thing you know, it's way away from the flock. So a good shepherd will leave the sheep together and then go after the one and find it and bring it home. I once heard a story that uh, in Ireland, I believe it was, they had these large cracks and crevices in the ground and uh, the sheep can actually wander themselves away. And when the shepherd finally finds it and is ready to bring it home, if he's not careful, he'll startle the sheep. The sheep can fall into a crack or a crevice and can actually get stuck in there. And then the shepherd has to sit on a rock and simply wait for the sheep to wear itself out. And then he can pick up the sheep and put it on his shoulders and carry it home. So the shepherds do that. They get just close enough to talk to the sheep without scaring it. Why is all this relevant? Well, it tells us about the work that a shepherd does. The Bible says, Jesus tells us that uh, my sheep know my voice and they listen and obey. See, if a shepherd is a good shepherd, he's so used to communicating with his sheep that a sheep can actually recognize his tone. In fact, many shepherds in various parts of the world will actually have a specific call just for their sheep. And the sheep will know his call different from everybody else's. Why is this relevant? Well, when we pick up the Bible, we find that God uses these metaphors for everyday life and their time to connect the bigger story of who God is and what God is doing in the world to himself. So things like shepherds and things like kings and things like sheep and lambs, it's all part of everyday life. And each story, each analogy is intended to give us a picture about who God is and what he really wants to do in the world. What is that? I think part of what God wants to do in the world is He wants us to understand just how much He loves us, how much He cares for us, how much He leads us, besides still in quiet waters, green pastures, with a rod and a staff. The same rod that protects us can also discipline us, you know. That same rod can actually get our attention by just kind of tapping us on the side and redirecting us. The same rod is the rod that, that a shepherd could walk out in front of the sheep and they could see it and they could recognize it and they could follow after it. 
What if all of this is wrapped up in what David is trying to say in Psalm 23? That the same God who protects him from the enemy is the same God who leads him to water and green grass. It's the same God who comes after him when he's lost. It's the same God who redirects his path when he gets off of it. It's the same God who will never leave him and never forsake him. What if all of that is wrapped up in Psalm 23? Better yet, what if all of that is wrapped up in the Christmas story? We find ourselves in the New Testament in the New Testament writers, especially Matthew and Luke, go into great detail about when Jesus is born. And they're trying to paint some pictures for us to get some handles on top of what God is doing and why he's doing it this way. And so we find ourselves in ancient uh, Palestine. And Jesus is being born in a place that's not his home. We know Jesus came from Nazareth near Galilee. But there's this census that's being called for. And so everybody has to go to their ancestral lands. Joseph is from David. He's from David's lineage, you know, a thousand years later. So he has to travel all the way to Bethlehem in order to take part in this. But his poor bride is pregnant. What a miserable journey that must have been. And so he finds himself finally in Bethlehem. They get there late. It probably took a long time to travel with a pregnant wife. And it comes time to give birth. There was no room at the inn. Most likely, Joseph didn't stay uh, inside, um, I don't know, uh, an outdoor wooden structure. It's possible. Most likely, Joseph stayed inside a cave. And possibly, he stayed inside somebody's house. The reason that's relevant is if Joseph had actually stayed inside somebody's house, it would have been a family member's house. Now they get there late. Mary has been pregnant. It's possibly time to give birth. We're getting really close. And what we find is they wouldn't, nobody would move out of the way in order for the pregnant woman to have a better place. There's no room in this inn. So they probably put her down below where the animals would have stayed. Perhaps where a shepherd would have brought the animals in at night, set them down. It's so powerful when you understand some of these details of the story because what we see is Mary and Joseph and even baby Jesus were frowned upon in their day. Well, not only that, let's just read the story itself. Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We keep this little thing underneath our Christmas tree with a little fake baby Jesus as a constant reminder that even with our presents and our trees decorated and stockings hung, this is what it's really all about. What is really most fascinating about this is that this is a feeding trough for animals. That here is the the king of the world come to Bethlehem to be born in the most humble of circumstances. There's a lot of tensions in this story. One of the tensions is this guy named Herod. He owns the third largest palace in the entire ancient world in that area. It's beautiful. It's immaculate. As you come into Jerusalem, you really can't miss Herod's palace. You really can't miss the place where he lives. It's just a sight to see. And yet the real king, the king of kings, 
He's showing up in a small manger, a feeding trough for animals. It's as if that God is going out of his way to help us remember that to him, when you have all the power, you don't actually have to put it on display. You actually can just simply be. Remember in the Old Testament when Moses asks God, what is your name? When, I, when other people ask me who sent me, what do I tell them? And God said, just tell them Yahweh. Tell them what? Just tell them I am. See, when you know that you are the most powerful being in all of the universe, you created everything just by speaking it into being, you don't have to put on these massive displays. You can just show up and be. But see, that's a message in and of itself for us. Because Jesus showed up to be. He showed up to be with you. He showed up to be with me. He showed up beside the quiet waters with David. He showed up in a burning bush with Moses. And he showed up in a field with some shepherds. Take a look at Luke chapter 2, what it says next. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Why did God choose shepherds to come to? Well, clearly, there's a connection to David. I mean, we're in David's city, the city of Bethlehem. So, why shepherds? Well, God doesn't want you to miss the message. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we're told about good kings and bad kings, good shepherds and bad shepherds, good sacrifices, bad sacrifices, good prophets, bad prophets. One of the things we learn in that story throughout the Old Testament is that when God wants to rebuke the bad kings, the bad prophets, the bad leaders, he calls them bad shepherds. He rebukes them as such. And what we find is by the time we get into this day and time in history, the people are craving a great leader. They're craving someone who will protect them, someone who will restore them, someone who will refresh them, someone who will end the pain, the suffering, the questions, the confusion, the loss. Someone who will be a good shepherd. Shouldn't surprise us then when Jesus shows up, he actually says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. Why did God send angels to shepherds in the field? Well, not only were shepherds considered dirty, they were also considered ritually unclean. It's hard for us today in America, especially if we've grown up maybe as a, a Christian, unless we have certain religious backgrounds, we don't really understand ritual very well. To be ritually unclean in that day meant that you couldn't worship God. I mean, this is Hebrew people. According to the Old Testament law, there were just certain things that came with being a shepherd that made you unable to take part in worship. So 
The very people who are out on the hillside are the same people who can't come in to worship. But God wanted all of us to know that when He burst onto the scene in Jesus Christ, this was a game changer. No longer would anybody be considered unclean. Not just dirty, literally, but ritually unclean. Everyone can come. Everyone is welcome. Ever think about that for a minute? Here comes God bursting forth onto the scene as a baby and a manger and announcing it to shepherds. Not to Herod, not to Pilate, not to Caesar, not to the Pharisees and the religious, religious leaders of the day, not to the elite or the wealthy, but to the most humble, the most outcast. He came to them. And the reason that He came to them is because He wanted all of us to know without question that God's love is for everyone, that God's protective services are for everyone, that God's leading voice is for everyone. And the reason this is so powerful today is because no matter where you are right now in your world, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, God is for you. And He's for your family. And He's for your friends. And He's for your neighbors. And He's for your coworkers. And don't miss this one. He's even for your enemies. God's love is truly radical. It's different. It's what allows Jesus to say, love your enemies in the same way you love yourself. Don't repay others when they do wrong to you. Instead, love them, pray for them, bless them, care for them. How can He say such things? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Paul makes this crystal clear in Romans when he says, while we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. See, what Jesus did when he died for us was he built a bridge that whenever we wanted to, we could simply walk across to him. The bridge stood at the crossroads between whatever we're going through and whatever life is and God. And it's as if God is on one side of the bridge and says, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I want to bless you. I want to care for you. I want to do all the things that a good shepherd does. Will you simply walk across this bridge that I've built? His name is Jesus. Psalm 23 might be the most famous passage in the world. It's got a close second. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. Where God says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This year, as we close out 2020, let us not rush into 2021 without focusing on the fact that there still stands a bridge between us and God, and His name is Jesus. So that no matter what you're going through, God wants to go through it with you. Will you walk across this bridge? Will you walk with God in 2021? Through all the loss, through all the heartache, through all the questions, through all the fears, through all the anxieties, will you walk across the bridge and walk with God? In Psalm 23, David closes with this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember that night in the field when the angels showed up and they say to the shepherds this profound thing, peace on earth on whom God's favor rests. On whom does God's favor rest? And the answer is everyone who has walked across the bridge called Jesus. Everyone who calls on his name. Everyone who receives him as Lord and Savior. So then that leads us to the next question. What does it mean that God's favor is with us? And here's what it means. It's quite simple. When God's favor is upon you in the name of Jesus, it means that God, the one who spoke the universe into being, is always present, always listening always tuned in. So no matter what you're going through, He's going to lead you beside still waters. He's going to refresh your soul. He's going to carry you through hard times and protect you through all things because He's so good, you could count on it. Now, my encouragement, my challenge to you right now, we're going to go into communion time. And I'm just going to encourage you to grab some bread and some juice. In the same way that David reflects that his cup overflows, may your cup overflow with confidence and the hope of who God is in Jesus Christ. I want you to take that bread, if you would like, take it as a family. Eat the bread and remember that Jesus came to give up his body as a bridge for you to come back to God. As you drink the juice, remember that on the cross, his blood was spilled so that all of your sins and what kept you away from God and this gap could be washed away. After you take this cup and this juice, I want you to just simply thank God for His faithfulness, but don't let it stop there. Remember that there are good shepherds and bad shepherds. The good shepherds led God's people well and cared for them. The bad shepherds led people away from God. I want you, as a family, if you're by yourself, if you're with a friend, have the conversation with whoever is with you right now. And I just want you to have a conversation that says, in 2021, what is one thing we can do to reflect God's love to this world? What can we do to love others the way that God has loved us? Maybe, just maybe, it'll have something to do with, I don't know, serving somebody you wouldn't normally serve. Maybe it has to do with taking your allowance if you have children and using it to help somebody else in need. Maybe a couple times this year, you'll intentionally go take care of a, a distant family member. Maybe there's a broken relationship with somebody that you're really close to, and it's time to go talk to them and work things out. What is one action that you will take in response to the way that God has loved you, and you will go and do the same for others? Oh
What a special service that is in an unprecedented 2020 Christmas season. It's been different. It's been different for all of us. And maybe you're still struggling, like Pastor Matt said, to find that joy. It's been well, some heartbreak. You've lost a loved one. Well, we want to walk with you through this season. You're not alone. We are with you. And so we would love to hear from you. You can text connect to 317-565-4911. And we would love to walk through whatever's going on in your life and, and to celebrate with you celebrate and to mourn when you mourn. That's what the church does, Holly. Mm -hmm. And we also want to invite you to come and be with us. You can be with us in person every week at 9 or 11 a.m. Uh, but also we are still online. So if that is where you are most comfortable, continue to join us there too. Yeah, we certainly wish you the best for 2020 as it is almost over. We've almost made it. Merry Christmas. Yeah, we'll see you next year.